us begin our Monday Thursday sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look at Judas's confession of hypocrisy, we pray that you use the words of our sermon to enlighten our hearts as to why we examine them before taking Holy Communion and what that examination is. We ask you to use this to give us a spirit of unity instead of division and to strengthen us in our confession of all you teach us and want us to believe. Amen. Our text for our sermon is from the Passion History as recorded in Matthew chapter 26 verses 21 through 25 combined with John chapter 13 verses 21 through 32. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely not I, Lord, he said to them. It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread with me in the dish. Indeed, the Son of Man is going to go just as it has been written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Amen, amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples were all looking at each other, uncertain which of them he meant. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out which one Jesus was talking about. So leaning back against Jesus' side, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread after I have dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped the piece of bread and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Judas, who betrayed him, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. He said to him, Yes, you are the one. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do more quickly. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Throughout this Lent season, we have heard confessions proclaimed by Christ's enemies, like, Do you have nothing to do with that righteous man? But this doesn't seem like a confession, does it? Surely not I, Rabbi. But that's exactly what it is. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And one by one they say, is it I? It couldn't be me. Until we get to Judas who says the same thing. And then when he's exposed, he says that. Surely not I. It's a lie. And the confession he's proclaiming tonight is that he's not going to betray the Lord, even though you and I know that is a lie. But I've often wondered in my life, why didn't Jesus... Just say, Judas is going to betray me instead of beating around the bush and making all the other disciples sit there and say, surely not I. But that's exactly why he stated it. That confession, surely not I, is preceded by a searching question. Why a searching question? Well, I don't speed very much. And yet, just today, as I was going down the road, I saw a police cruiser and instantly thumped on the brakes. It turned out being, because I was going downhill, that I was actually going about two to three miles an hour over the speed limit. Oftentimes, we thump on those brakes, even if we're not speeding, because we have a guilty conscience, because we know it's very possible that just going downhill, we can be speeding. By saying, one of you will betray me, and letting each one of the disciples say, surely not I, he's actually having them search themselves. Search themselves and see, am I capable of betraying the Lord? Could I accidentally do it and not realize it? See, 
Jesus has them search their hearts before he institutes the Lord's Supper. We actually see him doing the practical, what is spelled out for us later, as the Apostle Paul's inspired to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. For if anyone eats and drinks in an unworthy way because he does not recognize the Lord's body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. Because of this, many among you who are weak and sick, and quite a few have fallen asleep. We can take the Lord's Supper to our spiritual detriment. And in the case of the Corinthian congregation, because they were not examining themselves, because they were not using it the way the Lord had intended, God actually allowed physical detriment, even death to come upon them to set an example. Now, I'm 99.999% sure that Judas left the room before Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. But I wouldn't bet my eternal salvation on it because there's that one chance that it happened after the Lord's Supper. We can't say with 100% certainty. So if Judas did partake of the Lord's Supper, having not examined himself, we understand that he took it to his spiritual detriment and it helped open up his heart for the devil to possess it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus wanted the disciples to search themselves. As he spells out for us through the Apostle Paul, he wants us to examine ourselves, searching whether you know what the sacrament is and why you take it. Now we've got to be careful there, because we're searching. Do we believe his words, this is my body, this is my blood, and do we understand why we're taking it? We want to be careful, because... In 150 years after the Reformation, roughly, a group came along in the Lutheran church called the Pietists. And the Pietists put quite an emphasis on you examining yourselves to make sure that you were sorry enough for your sins and that you had thought of all of your sins. And this led to great acts of making sure that you were fasting and well prepared. That's not what Jesus had the disciples do. Now, I'm not saying, don't you dare hear that I'm saying, don't examine yourself. But I am saying, we can make that examination the wrong thing. It's not about seeing if you're sorry enough. It's about seeing, do you recognize original sin, that you are a sinner, and do you want to have your sins forgiven, and do you recognize and believe Christ's words that you receive his true body and his true blood? If you do not believe in original sin, as I was mentioning, just tapping on the brakes even when you're not speeding the minute you see a police cruiser because we have a sinful nature. If you don't believe in original sin, you have no business taking the Lord's Supper. If you are like Judas and there is a sin in your heart that is more important to you than God, and that was that silver, those 30 pieces he'd been promised, then you dare not take it. But you don't have to sit back and think of every last sin you've committed since the last time you came to the Lord's table. It's a matter of recognizing you're a sinner and God offers you forgiveness of sins because you receive his true body and blood. Now, many people accuse us of being unloving because we practice closed communion. In other words, it's not a come one, come all. It's not a free for all. And they say that's unloving of us. But brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd say it's unloving of them to put the burden on us to find out, do they properly understand? Do they believe in original sin? Do they believe they have sins that need to be forgiven? Do they believe they receive Christ's true body and blood? And you know what? It's actually very loving of us to tell them, if you haven't made that confession, don't come. Let me tell you what I mean. 
You could say that it would be unloving of a parent who loves their child that loves to run out into a busy street to let that child go out and run into that busy street knowing they could get smacked by a semi. If you and I know that somebody can take this to their own detriment, and we don't have to read hearts, God hasn't asked us to do that, we don't have to play Sherlock Holmes, but if we know that we can give it to somebody to their detriment and we know that there's a chance they're taking it to their detriment, then it would be unloving of us to give it to them. Now, we take care of this by simply saying, if you're a member of the Wisconsin Synod and and you have taken our classes and made that confession that you agree with all of our teachings, including what we teach about the Lord's Supper, or if you're a member of one of our sister synods here in the United States or throughout the world, then we at least know you have been properly taught and had confessed that you understand that teaching. Now, what about preparation? What about the person who shows up and says, oh, it's a communion Sunday, I forgot. Good news. The liturgy prepares you. The confession and absolution of sin, which we begin our service with, prepares you. Read the communion hymns, they prepare you. And saying the Lord's words of institution prepare you because they tell you it's for the forgiveness of sins. So before that confession, surely not I, Jesus probes them with a statement that will make them search themselves. And so that confession, surely not I, is Rabbi, is preceded by a searching question. But then Judas makes that statement. That was hypocrisy, wasn't it? He knew that he was going that very night to betray Jesus. And in the long run, Jesus says, get going. And we also know that it's because Judas had that sin in his heart that that money meant more to him than anything else. The Holy Spirit had left. And that's why Judas was left wide open to be possessed by the devil. Do not think that Judas was predestined to betray the Lord. God knew in all history, because God knows all things, that the devil would find a willing heart in Judas, so he foretold it. But Judas did this voluntarily, and his acts are all the more despicable When we understand that for three years, Jesus time and time again was there exposing his sin, offering him to come into his grace, and yet that money was still his God. And so we see the direct and deliberate hypocrisy in Judas. But as we've already learned that that confession, surely not I, Rabbi, was preceded by a searching question. Do we stop to see the maybe not intentional, less conscious hypocrisy in our own hearts? Let me give you some examples. Today, while science is a good thing, and I'm a big fan of science, faith is not the scientific method. Faith is believing that God actually does what is the opposite of the scientific method. He does miracles. And lots of times we find out that our hearts do not completely trust the word of God hypocritically when it comes to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper really is a litmus test of things that that we can hold in our hearts that really are a lack of faith. For example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians record the words of our Lord in the institution. And they all use the same words in the inspired Greek, which translate this, is my body. And that word is, is clearly there. And it's interesting the way our Lord said it, that it's not bread and wine are not always his body, but his body is there. So what I'm getting at, I don't want to confuse you, is the fact that 
oftentimes we look at Jesus as saying, this is my body, this is my blood, as he talks about the bread and the wine. And the way he says it, it's clear that it's bread and wine and his body's there and his blood is there. And we want it to make sense instead of accepting the miracle, so we change it. The bread becomes an envelope for a small piece of his body. And, and, and that's not the case. That's going beyond what he says. What we can say is it's there. Okay, so another thing that we tend to do that actually exposes the hypocrisy of unbelief is then we want it to make sense instead of accepting the miracle, so we change it. We add the word represents so that we actually have Jesus saying this bread represents my body, this wine represents my blood, and that is hypocrisy. In fact, that's actually adding to the word of God. That is not what Jesus said. And the very thing that strengthens our faith, one of the things Jesus gave is the Lord's Supper, ends up exposing where we don't believe if we don't trust his words that somehow in a miraculous way that defies science, we get his body and blood. Now we can go the opposite way of that and, and we can ignore science completely and, and of course we faith is trust in the word of God, but we can change that to this becomes so that the bread stops being bread, even though it looks and tastes like bread, it becomes his body. And sadly, this is what was happening in the medieval ages. This is one of the things that needed to be corrected in the Reformation because real quick then people started worshiping the wafer. They started worshiping the wine. Oh, you've you got to be very careful with that because if any gets spilled, you're spilling the blood of our Lord. And, and, and it's not the use that God intended. In fact, in, in that particular case, it becomes a work righteousness. When we believe that Jesus' body and blood are only represented by the bread and wine, that becomes kind of a work righteousness where we put the emphasis on us. Look, Lord, look what I'm doing for you. I'm remembering you. And, and, and we, we can miss the hypocrisy in that because we truly love our Lord and are thankful for his death for us and his resurrection. And if we believe in the other, which is called transubstantiation, that it ceases to be bread and wine and it becomes the, the body and blood of our Lord, then we'll fall into the same mistake that happened in the medieval ages in which we think we're re-sacrificing Christ to God. And again, instead of looking at what God is doing for us, a wonderful gift that's meant to strengthen our faith, it hypocritically becomes, look what we do for God. Both become work righteousness. Another area in which it can expose hypocrisy is starting to become popular is when people forget that it's the Lord's words that make it his body and blood. Jesus himself said, this is my body. So we can turn around and focus on the person, for example, the pastor. And we can claim that only somebody who's called and ordained has the power to turn the bread and wine into it. And guess what? That was dealt with by a controversy that, that was settled before the Council of Nicaea, before 300 AD. That was called Donatism. The idea then is that the, the person who says the words of institution has the power instead of the word of God has the power. We also want to remember with the Lord's Supper so that we don't fall into other superstitions that Jesus said... Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. He intended for it to be received. And with transubstantiation, with that idea that this becomes my body, this becomes my blood, then people in the medieval ages, as I said, they, they would think that if they brought it home, they could do miracles with it and stuff. And they miss the fact that you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper if you don't actually take and eat and take and drink. It's a package deal. Christ's words of institution and reception. And if both aren't there, it's not the Lord's Supper. And it leads to all kinds of work righteous hypocrisy. 
Now, I've already touched on the last thing I want to point out. Many Christians truly meaning well will say, well, if you truly love the people that God loves, why would you withhold the Lord's Supper from them? And the truth of the matter is we don't want to withhold the Lord's Supper from anybody. But as I've already covered, we want to make sure they understand what they're getting. They believe that they're getting the body and blood of the Lord for their forgiveness and that they've searched themselves and understand original sin. They're sinners who need that forgiveness. So it's actually a hypocrisy to disobey the word of God and say, come one, come all, it doesn't matter. Because as I said at the first part of our sermon, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and also the Apostle Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we get united in that confession, the truth of the matter is, if we think anybody can come because we don't want to offend anybody, we're actually falling into the hypocrisy of showing we don't love the word of God. It shows a lack of faith in the true word of God. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to be careful. Judas was guilty of a definite and deliberate hypocritical confession. But the Lord's Supper is like a litmus test that can expose hypocrisy in our own hearts. And the irony is, is when we recognize that hypocrisy, we repent of the sin. The Lord's Supper itself strengthens us to trust in all the word of God and to trust in the very words God says in his institution of the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this hypocritical confession seems to be said right before Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, but it's preceded by a searching question. It is certainly a hypocritical confession, and sadly, in connection with the Lord's Supper today, we see warnings that we ourselves want to be careful that we don't fall into those hypocritical confessions either. But then the whole thing, as I said, it appears that Judas leaves the room and Jesus follows everything up with a bonding miracle, a miracle that was meant to bond the other 11 together. Now, Jesus wants to leave a last will and testament. In those words, he says, this is the new covenant of my blood, the inspired Greek wording that that, uh, the, the evangelist wrote and the apostle Paul wrote is actually what the word in Greek for a last will and testament. If you're going to leave something behind, it's got to be your possessions. You can't take those with you when you go. Well, Jesus knows his clothes are going to be divided up, and they're not. he can't give those away. He knows that because of Psalm 22 and also because he's true God. So the only thing he has to leave behind is what's hanging from the cross, his body and blood. He's given his body and blood as a possession to his sheep. Now, as I said, it appears that Judas had already left the room. You see, if somebody has preceded you in death, they don't get the inheritance because they have already died. Judas will hang himself before Jesus dies on the cross. So this is for the 11, and it bonded those 11 together. Now, stop and think about this. God used... What the devil had intended for harm and God used it for good. So first of all, Satan goes after and possesses Judas's heart, but he found that heart devoid of the Holy Spirit. He found a willing heart. Now, that wasn't good for Judas, but God used that to put his son on the New Testament altar of the cross. So that works for our good. The 11 disciples, every one of them runs that night, but God used it for their good. Never, ever again would one of them deny their Lord after that night. 
In fact, later after the institution of the Lord's Supper, Luke records in chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan is asked to have you all. He says that in the plural, not just Simon. We know as Peter. It's in the plural, all of them. So that he may sift you guys as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Yes, they ran in fear. Two of them were bold enough to go into the high priest's court. One of them will deny the Lord three times. But you know what? They did not despair like Judas. They did have faith. This time it was probably the weakest it was in their lives. But Jesus had given them the Lord's Supper before his arrest that night. And we could say part of what the Lord's Supper did was keep him from losing any of the disciples, but the one Judas who had already planned to betray him. And afterwards, they didn't bicker. It gave them a bond of love. They didn't say, well, I was willing to go to the foot of the cross when the other ten of you were too chicken. They didn't say, well, you denied the Lord three times, I stayed away. No. They were bonded together, they forgave each other, and they didn't rub it into each other's faces. That Lord's Supper certainly had nourished them as it was intended. And it does the same for you and I. You see, we receive the body and blood of our Lord. It connects us into his body and strengthens us into his body. And we know that Jesus is God the Son, but our God is triune. So when we take the Lord's Supper, there's a vertical bonding. It strengthens our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But all of us make up the individual parts of his body, and Jesus is the head. So when we partake of it together, it unites our bond with each other. It gives us the ability to forgive each other and to not have petty bickering and fighting and saying, well, I do this, but you don't do that. Instead, it unites us together through that forgiveness and in that love of Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, that confession, surely not I, Rabbi, really was a lie. He was confessing a lie. But it was preceded by a probing question of the Lord, which was meant to make the other disciples look into their hearts, and including Judas. It prepared them. Now, Judas had a hypocritical confession, and we recognize when we receive the Lord's Supper, we want to come and make sure we understand what we're receiving and why we're receiving it. We want the forgiveness of sins it gives. And after that hypocritical confession, it was followed by a bonding miracle that bonded the disciples and it bonds you and I vertically with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and horizontally with each other in our confession. Amen. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.